Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. There are things about modern technology that I just love. I love on-demand movies. TV shows. I love being able to skip commercials when I can, but part of me still misses how I used to watch and consume media. Okay, so I don't necessarily miss watching commercials, although I do miss catching some of those great commercials. What I do miss is the act of discovery, which I've talked about on the podcast before and on the website. I remember as a kid being very excited about videotape technology and being able to go to the store and get whatever movie I wanted and bring it home. And then when we had cable television, I could look at a schedule, figure out what movies I wanted to watch, and see them without commercial interruption. It was great. But when I started doing this, something started to change in the way that I consumed movies. Back before either of those technologies, if it was a Sunday afternoon and I wanted to watch a movie... What I did was, I went to the television, and I flipped through the channels to see if any movies were on. I often had no idea what the movie was when it was running. I would just sit down and start watching it, which led to discoveries that I might not have made while browsing the aisle, maybe picking the genre I wanted, or nowadays just having things delivered to me based on other things I've seen. I saw Silent Running in the 1980s on a Sunday afternoon as one of these Sunday afternoon movies that ran on a couple of channels, which I thought was a great alternative to watching sports when I was a kid. I had no idea what the film was when I sat down to watch it, but I knew it had robots in it, and it was science fiction-y, and I was pretty quickly engrossed in the film. The thing is, I didn't remember the name of the film, and for years afterwards, I wouldn't see the film again. I probably could have walked by it in a video store a dozen times and not picked it up, even though I was interested in seeing it. That's just the nature of how video stores work. There are things that catch your eye. Silent Running wasn't going to catch my eye, and it didn't catch a lot of people's eye. It wasn't a big hit, but the people who have seen it, who are lucky enough to see it, especially as kids, often walk away with a deep appreciation for it. I'm not sure how people are going to stumble upon things in the future. Maybe that will become trendy, or maybe it will be a feature that they build into some future product. I hope so. Occasionally I'll go online and just sort of randomly pick a movie, although it's not as common as I would like it to be. On today's show, we're going to talk about one of those Sunday movies that really stuck with me, Silent Running. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about the plot, its reception, its availability, its legacy... And we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Silent Running is a 1972 science fiction film with an environmental theme. And a lot of people get hung up on the environmental theme, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. It really is almost a solo work for one actor, Bruce Dern, although it has some supporting work from Cliff Potts, Jesse Vint, and Ron Rifkin. It was directed by Douglas Trumbull. Trumbull had worked as a special effects supervisor on two very well-received science fiction films, 2001 A Space Odyssey and The Andromeda Strain. You'll hear from Vic Sage in just a little bit, who will tell you a little bit more about Douglas Trumbull. So in the late 60s, Universal Studios saw the success of the film Easy Rider and thought it would be a really interesting idea to create some low-budget films, sort of semi-independently, allow the author's final cut, and release them with very little to no advertising and just see what happens. Douglas Trumbull, who was coming aboard to do the special effects for Silent Running, would eventually, through process of elimination, come to direct it, would direct one of these films, Silent Running. The other films that were also in that class of films was the last movie, Taking Off, The Hired Hand, and probably the one that everyone remembers, American Graffiti. Trumbull was involved in Silent Running from the beginning, working on a treatment for the film. They would bring in screenwriters to work on it. You had Derek Washburn, Michael Cimino, and Stephen Bochco. Washburn is probably best known for his work on The Deer Hunter, which he wrote with Michael Cimino. Cimino, of course, known for The Deer Hunter. He also wrote and directed the infamous Heaven's Gate. Of those three people, maybe the best known to modern audiences is Stephen Bochco, not necessarily for his movie work, but because he created some great television hits, including Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, and Doogie Howser, M.D. Now with a little bit more about the director and creative force behind Silent Running is Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this time we're going to be talking about director of Silent Running, Douglas Trumbull. Douglas Huntley Trumbull was born in Los Angeles on April 8, 1942. Of interest, his father was Donald Trumbull, who helped create some of the visual effects for 1939's The Wizard of Oz. It was in the 1960s, while working at Graphic Films as an artist, focusing on illustration and airbrushing, that Trumbull found himself being hired by Stanley Kubrick for a little film called 2001 A Space Odyssey. In fact, Trumbull secured the job himself after calling the director at his home. His first task was to create the data seen on the computer monitors on the Ares and Discovery, Obviously, in 1968, computer effects weren't exactly in use, so Trumbull created the effect by photographing and animating technical charts and graphs. By the time he had turned 25, Kubrick put him in charge of creating the effect on the Stargate, for all intents and purposes, allowing the young artist total creative control on the effect. Still, things weren't all sunshine and roses between the two, as slight tensions would arise when Trumbull was incorrectly credited in print as the sole special effect creator on the film. This mistake by the studio happened on more than one occasion, and when Kubrick would see this, he would get irritated and call the artist on the phone to give him an earful. It was after working on the special effects of 1971's The Andromeda Strain that allowed Trumbull to work on 1972's Silent Running. Trumbull would go on to work on the short-lived TV series The Star Lost, before working 
working on the special effects for 1977's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. After turning down the offer to work on Star Wars, two years later he was helping provide the effects on Star Trek The Motion Picture. In fact, he was called in at the last minute to replace another visual effects company. He and his team worked around the clock for six months to deliver the effects, one of the most challenging being that of the Enterprise itself. The discovery in 2001 A Space Odyssey was over 50 feet long, so the camera could pick up on the details. The previous production company had created a 7-foot model of the Enterprise, which limited what could be done in the special effects photography. In all, they had to complete 650 effects shots in a mere six months, but complete it they did. Trumbull would work on some of the special effects for 1982's Blade Runner, leaving halfway during the production. This had always been agreed on, however, as he was beginning production on 1983's Brainstorm. This would be the last film he would direct. During its filming, the entire movie was almost chalked up by the studio as a loss, when its star, Natalie Wood, mysteriously drowned while on a weekend boat trip with her husband, Robert Wagner, and co-star Christopher Walken. Trumbull pleaded with the studio to let him finish the film, as nearly all of Wood's scenes had been filmed, and that he could salvage it all in the editing room. Though the production of the movie had started in 1981, it wasn't until 1983 when it was given a small release. The experience left Trumbull bitter about the Hollywood system, and he decided to retire to work on new technology for motion pictures. In 1991, he would work on the footage for Universal Studios' Back to the Future, The Ride, and also worked on 1996 Luxor Live. In 2011, he worked as a visual effects consultant on Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. So a little bit about the plot of Silent Running. It's science fiction, so it takes place in the future. And all plant life on Earth is extinct and has been put in these greenhouse domes on an American Airlines space freighter. That's a fun thing about this movie, is that they use real brands from the time in the film. It sort of gives it this strange authenticity. While out there on this ship called the Valley Forge, where all these domes are, the botanist on it, Freeman Lowell, who's played by Bruce Dern, finds out that these ships that have been carrying the domes are going to be put back into commercial service, and they are told to destroy the domes. His fellow crewmates, and there are three of them, are very excited to go home and kind of embrace the destruction of the domes with a little too much glee. But what they didn't know is how much Lowell loved these plants and the lengths he will go to to protect them, including killing. And he does it with gusto. Eventually, all that is left is him and three drones, which are these robots that are delightful. And he nicknames them Huey, Louie, and Dewey. So at this point, the film becomes really a solo operation, although there are actors inside the drone costumes. But it really is Duran just eating up the scenery. And eventually, Lowell has to make a decision as to how to preserve the last dome that he's saved and the forest inside. So a little bit about the cast of the film. You had Bruce Dern as Freeman Lowell. Bruce McLeish Dern was born in 1936. He's an American actor, probably best known for playing unstable characters. He's very good at it. He has been nominated twice for an Academy Award in 1978 for Coming Home and in 2013 for Nebraska. I've heard him interviewed where he described himself as sort of the last choice actor when everybody else has turned down a role. It's often great that they did, because Dern is a very good actor, although he has been typecast 
unfortunately, it's difficult to break that typecast, but Dern's talent sort of overcomes that, and he's been able to work fairly steadily. If you are not familiar with the Bruce Dern canon, I would suggest you start. I think you're in for a pleasant surprise. As for his portrayal of Freeman Lowell, Dern could have played it many other ways, but he brings a complexity to the role. It sort of feels like he could be played as a space hippie, but Dern gives him an edge and makes him almost unlikable. And there's this sort of back and forth where you're not sure what to make of this character. And it's that ability to bring complexity to a role that makes Dern special. He was not always alone up in space. Cliff Potts played John Keenan probably best known for his work in Silent Running, one of his bigger film roles. He did have quite a bit of television work and recently returned to acting after a 14-year absence. And he was on the Hallmark Channel film Wild Hearts, which was directed by Rick Schroeder. Ron Rifkin played Marty Barker. On TV, he played Arvin Sloan on Alias and Saul Holden in Brothers and Sisters. As a character actor, he's been in a lot of films, including Silent Running, The Sunshine Boys, a great part in L.A. Confidential, Boiler Room, The Sum of All Fears, and Manhattan Murder Mystery. Jesse Vint played Andy Wolf, still working today. He was on Grimm as recently as 2012, has a very long resume. Those are the three actors who worked with Dern that you got to see, but there were four other actors who played the drones, and these drones were kind of short. And to put people in them could have been uncomfortable. And to make them remote-controlled would have been difficult with the technology they had available. They were able to deal with this by casting amputees in the roles of the drones. So you had Mark Persons, Cheryl Sparks, Stephen Brown, and Larry Weisenhunt playing the drones. Filming of Silent Running occurred in February and March of 1971, filmed over 32 days. The interiors of the film were shot on the decommissioned aircraft carrier USS Valley Forge, which was docked at the Long Beach Naval Shipyard in Long Beach, California at the time. This was right before it was scrapped, which happened almost right after completion of the film. The forest scenes that you see were supposed to be filmed in the Mitchell Park Domes in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but because of budgetary restraints, that was changed and they were filmed in an aircraft hangar in Van Nuys, California. There are some scenes where Dern swims in water, and I was reading that the water in the film was actually not heated, but was freezing cold, and that was because of budgetary reasons. So they had to cut corners in some places, but were able to make up for it with pretty impressive special effects at the time, including a pretty cool shot of Saturn, and that was supposed to originally have been used in 2001 A Space Odyssey, but they couldn't finish it on time, so they used Jupiter instead. So because technology had grown and there was more time to complete it, Silent Running gets to be based around Saturn. The model of the Valley Forge was pretty big, 26 feet long, and it took nearly half a year to build, and was built from all sorts of prefabricated model kits. American Airlines, which was one of the brands featured in the film, expressed interest in taking the model and sending it out on tour, which would have supported the film. But because the model was so fragile, that sadly couldn't be done. Several of the domes from the film survived and now are in the hands of private collectors, one of them is supposedly in the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame. 
which is not far from where I live, and I keep waiting to see it, but I don't think they're putting it out on display lately. The carts that were used by members in the film, driving haphazardly around, were pretty cool. They were custom-built and were designed by the father of Douglas Trumbull. And interestingly, as Vic Sage pointed out, Trumbull's father had worked on special effects for The Wizard of Oz. So two generations of Trumbulls helping to make this film great. The sound effects for the film were created by composer Joseph Bird, and they were created on a modified ARP 2600 synthesizer. For all you special effects fans out there who are trying to recreate these great sounds, Footage from this film was actually reused in different projects, including TV ones. Great way to make a little extra money off things that were made. They would appear in Battlestar Galactica, where you would see the Valley Forge and its sister ships as agricultural ships. And in an episode of Night Gallery called The Different Ones. What's interesting about the footage they used there was they used the footage from that film before the film was released. So the... Different ones aired on December 29th, 1971, and Silent Running came out on March 10th, 1972. Now, I've mentioned there are logos throughout the film. If you look around, you'll see that there is a lot of American Airlines ones, but there's also ones for Coca-Cola, Dow Chemical, Rockwell International, Ditch Witch, and many others. As I talked about, they brought in different writers for the film. In the original version of the film, the Freeman Lowell character was older, and he wasn't so much into just saving the domes, but instead didn't want to retire because he was older, didn't know any other way. So he steals the Valley Forge and goes off into space simply because he's not ready to retire. And in that version of the film, he would receive a signal from an alien ship and attempt to make contact, but would be killed before he could make contact with the aliens. Instead, the first thing to make contact with alien life would be these drones that Lowell had reprogrammed. The soundtrack was written by Peter Shikaley, who was probably better known by his fictional character P.D.Q. Bach. The soundtrack contains two songs written by Shikaley and Diane Lampert, the songs Silent Running and Rejoice in the Sun. They were both performed by folk singer Joan Baez. Those two songs were issued on a single by Decca Records. In 1998, a limited-release CD was put out by the Valley Forge Record Group, which included an additional track with a spoken introduction called God Bless These Gardens. The film was released on March 10th, 1972. As I mentioned, it didn't get a lot of support, which is sad, but it still was fairly well-received. Reading some of the reviews from the time, people seemed to appreciate the effects and the acting, but criticized the storyline and script. Still, in 2008, it was one of the nominees for AFI's top science fiction film list. The movie is available on home video, Blu-ray, DVD, and home streaming services. If you do stream it online, I think it's available currently on Netflix. Make sure that you go to YouTube afterwards and watch the making of featurette. It will give you a lot of behind-the-scenes information, stuff you normally can't get when you stream these things online. There's a song by Mike and the Mechanics called Silent Running, and I always wondered if there was a connection between the two, and it turns out there is. Mike Rutherford of Genesis and Mike and the Mechanics was looking for a title for the song, and he called it Silent Running because he remembered that film very well, and he thought that the song had a spacey feel to it, so he thought, why not Silent Running? An important influence of Silent Running was on the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000, Joel Hodgson, 
who has said that this movie influenced the decisions he made in creating Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I believe in the first episode, 1988's Invaders from the Deep, there is a subplot where Joel and his bots are tending to his vacuum flowers. A lot of people criticize Silent Running because of its ecological message. And yes, it sort of does beat you over the head with that message. But I think if you're looking at it from just that angle, you're missing out on something to think about, which is, yes, he was sad that his forests were going to disappear and that future generations weren't going to get to see his forests or whatever plants he was holding on to. But isn't there something in all of our lives that we're sad to see go? Something from the past. I mean, the past is very important to me. And I am sad when I think that future generations won't see something that I got to witness. And maybe it's something that doesn't necessarily need to go away, say like an arcade. But because technology has advanced, we don't need them anymore. That doesn't mean they're not important. So what is it in your life that's important enough for you to take a stand. So if you are watching the film and you are getting turned off to that message, just put yourself in Lowell's shoes and instead of a big garden, picture something it is that you love, something that you care deeply about. Then as you watch it, see if it has an effect on you. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. You might also want to check out Vic Sage's podcast, Saturday Frights, which you can find on The Retroist and make it your retro horror podcast of choice. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Louie, Dewey, Huey, Dewey, Huey, Louie, Louie, Huey, Dewey. Dewey, Louie, Huey. Then you might be more of a robot than that little drone. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.